Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is Joshua Kahn with the news. Flocks of phone crazies have been found all over the state. If coming into contact becomes unavoidable, remember, they were people once too, and deserve the same amount of respect as... Wait, who wrote this? Definitely not a phoner, and definitely a reliable news source. Call Ben if you don't believe me. All right. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King Book Club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside C.M. Alexander. Hello, everyone. And Benjamin Graham. Hello, constant readers. It's me, the Dairy Public Radio creep. And I'm here for sale. (laughs) And as the Dairy Public Radio creep so eloquently put, today we are covering the Patreon selection of Phil Thiessen, covering part two of Cell, and we have C.M. leading our discussion. C.M., take it away. Thanks, Josh. And... Ben? <laughs> yeah, I'm here. I'm yeah. here too. Oh, did you pass the creep on your on your way in? Yeah, he's doing <laughs> some unpleasant stuff. Yeah, dude's kind of a creep. Looks like he moves like Voldo from Soul Calibur. <laughs> yes. All right. Before we dive into part two, I want to get a, a quick recap of what's happened so far. The Pulse, a faulty program sent through cell phone signals, has turned most of the world's population into first crazy people, but as a very short amount of time actually passes by, they not only start to behave a little less crazy, but they also have telepathic, telekinetic powers. They're hive-minded, and they probably can do other stuff too. Our main group of antagonists are out for blood, and they will stop at nothing to destroy everyone different from themselves, unless, of course, that person is someone that they love. Then they'll stop at nothing to save that person, including embracing their change and making all of the carnage that they inflicted on the phoners completely pointless. They're like Mr. Riccardi, but worse. He chose to die rather than to change, and they chose to destroy what's different from them rather than to change. And Ray makes that point for us later by saying... It's better this way. It's no fucking way to live. And then blowing his head off. What? Wow. Wow. Okay, we just... I blacked out after antagonists. <laughs> because that is... It, it's not wrong from another perspective. That is my perspective for this, this whole episode. You guys don't have to have that perspective, but that's where I'm, I'm coming from. So okay. your, your argument is the... Phone people should have been left alone to evolve into whatever they're evolving into, and people should have just not murdered them. Not murdered them. Fair. Yeah, because so far we've punched an old an old lady. <laughs> yes. uh, we've tried to abduct a child that doesn't belong to us. We that's though. We we blew up a soccer field worth of people. Yes, they definitely did. To that. be fair, that was badass. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so anyway, let's just dive into the plot for the the last half of this, and I will keep trying to to prove my point as I, we go I, along. Honestly, I think I understand your argument, and I do think I agree. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> I just think we might have different conclusions about how much we like <laughs> that 
storytelling, Good. I guess. Because okay. I firmly disagree. So this will be really right. fun to see how this all pans out. Okay. So here we go. At the end of our last episode, like we said, our group is going to continue their journey to find Clay's son, Johnny. But before they do that, they're going to bury the head. And Alice tries her best to Franny, but she can't. So <laughs> Tom does. They have a a nice and just really sad funeral for the head. Burying him in his garden, which was very touching, and got, proceeded to get very dark that night afterwards. <laughs> and Clay can't sleep because he's so disturbed by the head's death, but not when they slaughtered a bunch of people the night before and body parts are raining down on them. Well, also, they never... Because, yeah, the, they are really not as shaken as no. uh, seeing a bunch of corpses explode should. But also, like, the argument that, okay, the phone people aren't people anymore. They're animals. They're something else. Okay, sure. But the problem is that after this happened, they also tortured a bunch of living people. And they're, like, fucking never mentioned again. Like, right? Didn't that happen that at when Harvard comes and leaves the shoe... They hear screaming oh, in the right. background because they like not everybody mm-hmm. died down there. And yeah, because as they leave yeah. uh, Gaten, as they're leaving the city, they see all of these houses that had shoes outside of them, which we know meant people were hiding out in them. And all of them are busted open that the phone people had drug people mm-hmm. out into the street and just torn them to shreds. And they're, like, fucked up about it. But then they move on. They're like, huh. Well, But that's it, classic zombie movie logic anyway. Yeah. You, you don't get, you can't let yourself, the whole world is dying around you. You can't let something like that in or else you will die. There was a quote in the first half of the book that uh, the people that can adapt to it will and they'll survive. Yep. The people that can't will die. And for the record, I'm not arguing that the phone crazies are justified in their retaliation or anything like that, or that mm-hmm. we, you know, they're just good they're, people on their own. We, yeah, they're doing bad things too. But I don't think that justifies the the group that is supposed to be our protagonists being just as bad. It becomes more of a point for me later when mm-hmm. we meet our the rest of our group of individuals and I do kind of understand and I can forgive the first flock destruction because the last really the last thing you knew about the phone crazies is that they were just killing people mm. left and right. You didn't know you weren't doing a bad thing. They come to understand that later and that does not stop them from destroying a lot of flocks and a lot of people. I, I Ben, I don't know if you're going to get this reference, but now I fully understand CM's very weird point. Because I remembered she likes the terrible movie Warm Bodies that treats zombies as oh romantic God. interests and as people. Okay. First of all, I didn't <laughs> say it was a good movie. You said it was your favorite zombie movie. That's a lot. <laughs> I won't have that on this podcast. Okay, anyway, let's let's talk about them leaving Gaten Academy. While they are on the road, they discover that all the other normies have been given a message in their minds, too, this telepathy is not just between phoners. It can also not be shared with the normies, but they can send messages to them. 
Yeah, in the same way that they've been having dreams about Harvard, all of the other people who they see in their dreams uh, in the crowd with the phoners, they're also having the dreams from the other side. Oh my god. We'll get to it in a bit, but the moment when I realized that that dream was not prophecy, but was instead a tally, rocked Mm -hmm. my fucking world. I want to talk about that more in a little bit, but first, what did you guys think of, so they they run into another group of people at a picnic table, and Clay is thinking, because they don't treat them very well, they're like, oh, you guys are, are tainted, we can't even talk to you, so it's really our group versus not just the phoners, but the phoners and the normies. And he's thinking about, you know, the difference between collaborators in the underground or terrorists and it's romanticizing mm-hmm. that kind of action. It To me, it makes perfect sense that all of the other survivors are signing up for this because they essentially say they were told that the phoners will leave us alone if we leave them alone and we leave you guys alone then we're safe and we Mm -hmm. can just carry on to where we are going in a world like this. If a magical voice comes into your head or in some cases literally takes over the voice of somebody you're with to tell you this, you sign that deal. That's, that's just, as far as I'm concerned, if, if the three of us were in a situation like this and suddenly a weird voice comes out of Ben that says, Hey, don't kill my people. And don't talk to this guy. Don't talk to the insane people. Yeah. And then we're we're square and you can do whatever you want. I'd be like, deal, guy in Ben's head. <laughs> yeah, it's it's also a matter of like, what other choice do they have? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. They don't know how bad that is, like just how fucked they are yet. But I mean, even if they went against this voice, what good does it do? Right. And Alice gets really upset with people about that later and is like, Mm -hmm. hey, at least we did something. It's like, well, they're trying to prevent innocent people from dying because we all know what that retaliation is now. So doing something, quote unquote, is not necessarily the right thing to do in this world. Well, it's such a slippery slope. It is. There is no right thing to do, though, because as far as they know, there's no way out. They didn't blow up the thing to, because they thought it would help them get away. The it was all it's everything they do from here on out is pure survival. They did the first thing they did well, as a step to help save the world from their perspective. Yes. Mm-hmm. And because they have already signed up for this side of the war and and they see everybody else who's like them turning their back on it to make this deal. I get the call to action to say, well, if we're already on this side of it, we still firmly believe we are on the right side of these are monsters than than staying on that side of the battle. I fully get that. And also, I think in this world that exists now after this pulse, I think kind of the point what I took away from this is that thinking along the lines of morality like that in this world Mm -hmm. is part of that adaptation. They don't have the luxury of being like, we shouldn't, we're killing a lot of human bodies. It is, we blow these up or we die. We and are being led like I cows don't, to the slaughter. Yes, they multiple times they say they're, they're even the people that the, the phoners are saying like, you'll go safe. 
they're just cows in a chute. Like, mm-hmm. they're gonna die regardless. And in that position, how much are you gonna do to stay alive? Oh, I get it. We're gonna put a pin in it for now because yes. the characters argue against those points themselves <laughs> no, And later. I know that argument that you're <laughs> you're coming up to, and that's the point. I agree with you. It which just makes it so complicated. A yes, exactly. Okay, but we'll we'll get to it because yes. there's there's some interesting stuff. Jordan is taking the head's death very hard, and, and that's totally understandable. And I was just a little bit because I have to bring it up. I'm sorry. Clay notices that Jordan's about to get hysterical. Earlier, when Alice was just upset when they first met her, he considered like, "Am I going to have to slap her because she's getting hysterical?" Instead, when it happens to Jordan, he's like, "Well, he makes a good point." <laughs> and also, he didn't picture Jordan in his underwear like he did Alice. So, Not as narrated, he didn't. We don't know what he did in his free time. <laughs> we also hear about what the group, our group, calls sprinters, and. Okay, this is super king. They have an encounter with two of them, Gunner and a guy who does not, I hate to say this, does not deserve to have the name Harold. <laughs> <laughs> and they end up crashing their car a little ways up the road. I thought this was really interesting as well. What Alice does, because of the sprinters, do one of you want to explain what those are? Yeah, the the sprinters are people that are have gotten vehicles and are just driving as recklessly and as fast as they can careening around the road around Rex. And it's very, very dangerous. And this group passes them and they kind of cat call Alice. He, they are he's like, jerks. says something like it, it isn't this, but it's something like blow me teeny bop or something like yeah. that. It's something, it's something terrible. Yeah. And, like a page later, it talks about hearing the crash, and I audibly laughed because mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, "Good, I hope they both went through the windshield." Uh, turns out, not so much. This is the point in the book that the first time I read it, I switched to "I hate this book." Really? Yes, because this scene that happens is so fast and brutal and completely out of nowhere. Um, well, not completely out of nowhere. There is some foreshadowing of certain flavor. <laughs> are you are you talking about what happens or when? Yes. Okay. First, can we talk about, because I want to know your thoughts on when they come up upon the crash. And Alice tries to help them. Well, okay. From my perspective, which I have taken the stance that these are our antagonists, what I see is Alice taking a page from Clay's book. And and they know that people do not want anything to do with them. And just like the woman with the kid in the shopping cart, she's forcing her, like trying to force her help. Like no means no, whether it's your dick or a bandage. It doesn't justify what they do. No, but is there an argument to be made out of a terrible accident resulting in a serious head wound and some trauma saying that, Maybe I know better than you right now. I get that you're saying no to my help, but you will die. He has a friend. Why can't you just say, here, man, give your friend. I'm just going to set this peroxide and bandages down, fix them up, walk away. Well, because they were pieces of shit anyway. And also, don't they basically do that? Because she's like, hey, let me help you out. Mm -hmm. And they're like, fuck off. And they're like, fine, assholes. And fuck off. Well, well, Clay does pistol whip yes. Gunner in the oh, face. So yes, that's yeah. right. Okay. Then this is my problem because yes, yes, they eventually do that. 
after making a stink about it. Okay, you know what? Fine. I got it. I'm backing off. Here you go. Don't die or do whatever your choice. He doesn't only pistol whip the guy for saying mean words, which I hate the guy. He sucks. He's stupid. I'm not like on his side. Yeah. But You're pro cat calling. That's what I get it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah obviously. <laughs> and he also threatens his life. He says, if you see us again, we will kill you. Yeah. What? Yep. What? Yeah. Well, I'm on board. For him, saying mean words. Like you think people should be killed. For, you have to think of the, the situation they're in because it's not just mean words because they're not in a world where it ends at mean words. Like these guys have shown they say fuck off and like that he calls him. He looks like a a, a dog uh, forced into a, co- a corner like he thinks that this guy could bite. Yeah, I'm going to brandish my gun and be like, hey, man, fine, we're fucking off, but don't fucking look for us. I, I understand threatening to protect yourself later. I'm just frustrated that our group is no, no better. Do you think those people would have responded differently to them backing off in a, a taking a weaker stance to that? Like if they if they tucked their tails and been either pretended or if they played would have offered help of them. and respected their decision not to take their help and not pistol whipped them, not physically assaulted them or threatened their lives and had left, I would have respected that. And if those guys still did what they did, I would have been surprised. Not totally because it's a King book, sure. <laughs> but I, I would have been more firmly on our guys' side. As it is, I'm just like, oh, so we're all just going to be shitty. Well, Making yeah. the point They're- Clay was making earlier that it, initially I thought maybe the book was trying to say, no, that's not the point. <laughs> N- no, I think, unfortunately, I think you're completely right. But also that is kind of the point the book is trying to make yeah. that humans, regardless whether they're our group that we're following or mm-hmm. anyone else, are just as capable of the insanity and violence and shunning and lashing out as the phone people are. The idea that he describes them as the the cornered dogs, mm-hmm. but does not recognize that those same traits about themselves mm-hmm. is very telling. Everybody in this situation is operating off of kind of that fight or flight kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I completely understand why he reacted like, you know, in a world like this, I understand treating aggression with aggression. Is it right? No. But for survival, I get it. I feel like I'm not making my point. <laughs> no, I, I, I okay. think I understand, but it's like I said, there's the argument at the end of the book is the point that you're. Yeah. There I'm, is I'm an kind ar- of what I'm excited about is because I'm not following you, okay. but I feel like when we get to the end, you're going to wrap it up and you're going to blow my mind. <laughs> and I'm kind of mad about it. Can I, do you side with the Borg? No. So what's the difference? Like this, the Borg is complicated. The Borg are also victims. And Picard, which you will come to find out, has an opportunity to destroy the Borg. And he chooses not to. And that decision has repercussions throughout the entire Star Trek universe. Mm -hmm. And I agree with him. I guess I'm I'm coming at it more from the great Jean-Luc Picard would say, you... You keep trying. You keep trying to negotiate. You come to the table. You you try to reach an agreement. And if that doesn't work, you try again and you try again. 
other captains are like, yeah, you try. And if that doesn't work, you blow it up. <laughs> and I and this is more along that line. Like, yeah. yeah, you blow it up. Sure. That's just not. The stance isn't so much about, quote unquote, high roading it as it is playing the long game, I guess. For, I the, guess for the longevity of I can't justify, the world. I can't justify murdering people who didn't ask for this to happen, who can't control themselves, who can't sure. control what's going on who don't themselves know and not that I'm ignoring that there is risk to our group of people. And yeah, maybe they are also scared and they're responding with aggression, but I don't think that's what makes a protagonist. Oh, fuck. You got me. All right. Okay. So, <laughs> oh. oh no, I, I have another question though, that I want to talk about that I might've missed. I'm hoping you guys can help me. It's about Alice's death, which will, it's a very effective scene. So I want to get into details about that. But in the first shared dream, when they mm-hmm. see the raggedy man, they're with him and they're being declared insane. Alice is there. Clay sees her yes. there, but she doesn't remember the dream when she wakes up and everyone else does. Is that because she dies? And if that's the case, that's what I was kind of wondering about the dream. Should she have been in the dream? Because you do wonder like, oh, are they, is this the future or are they just sending a message? And I couldn't remember if she had had other dreams because they continue to dream. Did she participate? Yeah, she in has dreams. That's why I said it It rocked me that it's it's not a prophecy. It's a mm-hmm. tally. Mm-hmm. So okay. as, as these people, as, if if more people had been blowing up more flocks, if they'd, there'd been more insane people, they probably would have started dreaming about those people because he yeah. dreams about the other. They dream about the, the other head, group. And the head wasn't there. No. They already had a plan for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I they were handling the head at that time. If. No, I had the same thought because i was like i i remembered this happening Mm -hmm. i was like oh i didn't catch that that's uh she's not having the dream because she's already dead but i really think it is just i i think it maybe is like a foreshadowing thing but it's not so much story important it's just supposed to be there to signal okay thank you yeah i was just trying to find meaning in her not having that first dream and going back to the 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 tally argument we also need to point out that so many of these other people who word can't have passed naturally about them mm-hmm. being these outcasts. So the people who are in the the stadium watching this, that's their dream. Looking up and seeing these people, seeing them mm-hmm. be declared. That's how everybody knows. Yeah. So the dream is so much further than anyone suspects. That's what fucked me up about this scene is because I'm so used to Characters have a dream. It's prophecy. It's going to yeah. happen. And so I was like, sh- these characters are safe because they're all going to make it to wherever this moment is. So this fucked my world. Well, let's let's talk about Alice's death because it. OK, I'm, I'm obviously not too happy with our group right now, but it was really hard. I mean, she is a likable character. Yeah, I'll I'll go into it because like I said a little earlier, this was the point my first read through. This hit me so hard that it, I don't want to say ruined the rest of the book for me, but like it really affected me mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm the kind of person I've watched so much TV and movies and stuff. I see twists coming and this, I did not at all. They're, they're walking down the street. This is after they've had their confrontation with Hunter and Harold Gunner, Gunner Harold. and Harold. And the, they've, kept going down the road and it's been long enough that clay has actually forgotten about them but as they're walking they see headlights crest a hill and the person driving is really really extra reckless swerving around cars 
it's so out of nowhere because literally not a single one of the four of them react to it at all. They don't bother hiding. They Mm -hmm. don't bother running. They stand at the side of the road and just watch it coming until it's too late and they see Gunner leaning out of the window holding a chunk of cinder block and he lets it fly and it, it caves Alice's skull in. And it is described so hurriedly. No one has any time to react. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's done. And everyone reacts as though it, it's so realistic in yeah. that no one has, it happens so fast. No one has time to recognize that she's, we know she's dead mm-hmm. Im- immediately. But they all, Clay wraps her head in a sweater and they're they're trying to stop the bleeding, but it is just too late. And it fucking hurts. Yeah. The 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 way they handle afterwards. It, it's not enough that we see this brutal death, but the slow draining after it is even worse. Mm-hmm. She doesn't die immediately, and she's constantly squeezing her baby shoe. And says random nonsensical phrases such as the This garden's over, the roses have faded. The, the, or, the roses, the roses have, of, yeah. fading roses, this, this garden's garden is over. over. I like I preferred her tampon comment. Cause she giggled <laughs> <Yeah>. after <laughs> Which is eerie. Yeah. Like brain injuries are fucking terrifying. It made me hope that whatever is processing in her brain, if is if she's conscious of any mm-hmm. of it, yeah, she's having some good memories. Yeah. It just lasts so long. It's so sad. It's so rare that you beg for another character in your story to shoot another character in the story. Like, I so badly was hoping someone would end it for her. And watching people walk past them. Yeah. And they look over and they see this and they're like, sorry, guys. Deuces. And they move on. Yeah, we can't touch you. Yeah, you're you're off limits. And it got me because the way it was written, it seemed like... They asked a group, you know, as their doctor, mm-hmm. and they were they heard them conferring with one another, and it's like, are they going to break the rule, you know, because mm-hmm. this is an extreme yeah. situation, and they don't, and it's just heartbreaking. And the second he, they they say no, we can't help. Clay immediately, almost it seems like to protect himself, says, "Good, I didn't want them coming up anyway. That this is." Private. This is private. This yeah. is our time. It's so sad. And like I said, the first time I read this, this was so difficult to read. I hated the rest of the book. I was hmm. so like mad that okay, they would yeah. that they would kill this character. That the connection between these four mm-hmm. is so strong. It was like a betrayal. Rereading it now, um, it it still hurts, but it, it's interesting. I, I like it. Mostly because of our discussion last week. This is a comedy, right, guys? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it's still it's still Stephen King. I I was I was pushing that last week because I remembered this coming, and I was like, it's weird how funny the first half of this book mm-hmm. is. But from the second this second half that we're covering this mm-hmm. episode, this second half of the book is our main characters losing. Yeah. At th- this point, Fading Roses, this garden's over. Our good guys lose. And halfway through the book. 
I, I was thinking something very similar to that, not quite as eloquent. It was just coming through my mind as this reminds me, not the style, but how it makes me feel and kind of how bleak it is. This feels like a Bachman book to mm. me a little bit. It's bleak and it's like, am I rooting for anybody? <laughs> I got so upset I had to put the book down after this chapter, for sure. Mm-hmm. I was hurt by this death. But the moment I felt betrayed was when the raggedy man speaks through her. He could have spoken through any of them. He chose to speak to them through her. And that made me so mad. I cannot remember the last time I have been legitimately angry like this reading a book. It hurt. It It, hurt even worse. And I wondered, because their powers are evolving, was that because she was damaged and it was easier to talk through her and they couldn't yet, they didn't yet have the control of people like they later very much have. Not could, less gross, but yeah, that, I could, that I could definitely see that because it, it occurred to me that like, well, he's talked through Clay, but he was also standing right in front of Clay when yeah. that happened. Yeah. So yes. Okay. Which is that an makes me feel less hurt. <laughs> and it's an interesting idea to play around with too, because their brains are kind of damaged because mm-hmm. there was an issue with the pulse. And they're, the bodies, like, they're dead people, essentially. <laughs> yeah. we, we should also mention what that message is. The, the last message, the last words that Alice speaks before she dies is looking at Clay and saying, your son is with us. He just wants it so bad to be alive. <laughs> All right, so the three make it to Clay's house. So it's just Jordan, Tom, and Clay now. He finally embraces his resentment for his wife, leaving him and wanting him to pull his weight in their relationship. <laughs> you really want to hate Clay. I really am hating Clay. It's, I feel so bad. I didn't start that way. It, it just happened. Okay, in the be- very beginning of the book, he's all about his family. Mm-hmm. He, and he stays that way with Johnny, but he's, he's got this paperweight that Ben kind of made fun of. Because it's dumb. It, but, it, but what was interesting in that scene, though, too, is that he's wanting to reconcile. And he's like, I think she does, too, or she would be willing to consider it. Because the last thing she said to me this morning was, I'm pulling for you. Like, she's supporting him. Mm. She just wants him to be in this with her and help her, doesn't? That's a lot of burden to put on someone's shoulders if they're willing to shoulder that burden for you and give you time to pursue your dream great maybe there's a deadline to that that's a conversation you guys need to have and so i found it a little bit frustrating and maybe this is just natural and it would happen but he was they go to his house and he sees a note taped to the door and it's just like a piece of scotch tape and you can tell that you know if they had arrived any later it probably would have blown away in the wind and he just is like, Sharon, that bitch, she's so careless. Mm-hmm. And then he gets to it and he realizes it was his son. It's it's a note from Johnny. Like this point on, Sharon is Did, just doesn't exist. Does not care. Yeah. No. Anyway, so his note from Johnny. Do you guys want to talk about it, the note basically says, Dad, if you get if you find this, I'm with my friends. We're heading to town hall. Mom is one of them. I'm sorry. Please come find me. I love you. And he signs his, his full name. Yeah. And poor kid is frantic. You know, He's thinking 12 about, years old. And thinking about the circumstances, the duress he was in when writing this. And Clay is just like, ah, oh, Jordan, because Jordan's reading it too. He's like, I'm sorry, my son's so stupid. <laughs> that was. <laughs> that was. He's yeah, a he's dick. Like, he's weirdly <laughs> defensive about his dumb fucking son, <laughs> which that is funny. 
But I thought it was funny that as he's reading it, there's a weird take to Tom being like, what's your son look like? Ooh, yeah. That was scary. Which oh boy. was a weird bit. And I, it's not funny, but I did laugh that he was with his two friends and one of them died literally like five mm-hmm. feet away. Yeah. It's like that kid didn't that want it. That poor kid. He didn't want it that bad. <laughs> <laughs> So they soon meet a another group of people, people that they've had dreams about, people who have been with them in the stadium on the pedestals. And these guys are even more ruthless than our main group. Denise uh, is a pregnant woman. And we also have Dan. Savage being pregnant. <laughs> you believe the, the horrifying person she must be. <laughs> Dan is a sociology professor. He's our... Or Glenn yeah. of the group. And then we Pony have Ray. Tail and all. <laughs> Ray is a construction worker who, this will be important later, specializes in explosives. And is dumb. What do you, okay, what do you guys think about these these three new characters? I thought, it, I felt it was really difficult trying to add three full characters to this well-established group, especially after the departure of Alice. It, I, just, I felt like it was, I understand now, finishing it, why it's mm-hmm. important, but it, it just felt like too hard to push. It's another frustrating king trope of him adding a character at the end of the book who becomes incredibly important to the end game of the book. <laughs> yeah. It's something that we could not have known about the rest of the book, and then a fifth away from the end... He's like, oh, yeah, and then these people come in and uh, you better pay attention to them because they're going to be important. <laughs> it does bug me a little. But these three, they do, they, they is, what's the word? He they writes are, characters so well that they are characters immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, yeah. they are well-defined enough. Like he gets away with it. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I think these are some of his better last addition. Act. <laughs> yeah, last act deus ex machina heroes if we had had them leaving town hall and the beginning of next chapter had been like daniel woke up and i'd be like wait what the fuck but <laughs> i would have i would have read a full chapter just switching about character. yeah fully switching to this new group like even if it was just a short chapter to get their chemistry a little more but before they cross paths like, i would have been into it i thought it would have been cool and it would have made the book longer but we know i love that <laughs> if if we'd gone back and we'd started at the beginning and seen oh, and we saw their Christ. journey got like a, a just a very yeah. summarized version of mm-hmm. their so this group is interesting they are also declared insane because we find out that they two days after the pulse they killed a group of phone crazies I give them the same pass because, like, we don't quite understand what's going on. Not that I give mass murder a pass, but I, while I can't condone it, I can understand mm. why they might think they're doing the right thing. Again, man, I can't, I don't think you can get away with calling it mass murder. But <laughs> after that, when it was clear that people were getting better and changing, they kill another group. They make the distinction between the phone people being the phone crazies and then not being the phone crazies anymore and them not thinking of them that way. Them thinking of them as the phoners. Yeah. Or the phone people. Or the phone yeah. people. And Denise even goes on to explain that the phone people, like I said earlier, probably didn't have any control over what they were doing. She acknowledges that it wasn't their fault and that the way they are now, they probably can't help but playing their role in, in everything that's going on. They're not responsible for their behavior. And then they acknowledge themselves later. This is me putting mm. things on the group. 
that whenever they kill a flock, the reprisal is that a bunch of normies are killed. So they are responsible for those deaths, knowing that moving forward. So that's why I gave them a pass on the first flock they killed, but not any flocks after that. Because who are they to take that risk and endanger people, normies, quote unquote, who don't have the hive mind, who would have no idea that this this is coming at them because they didn't do anything. Some other group somewhere else did it, but they're going to pay the price for their actions. Okay. So understand, like that made your argument so much more clear. I think by that logic, I completely agree with you, but only for the new group's second flock. Right. That's what I said. The the first flock, because I was confused because with our group, they only kill spoiler, two flocks. Mm -hmm. One, their first one that gets them declared insane. And then at the end of the book, the super flock. Mm -hmm. But you can't, I I was confused because you can't, I don't think they're to blame for the super flock because that was, they, they had to do something or they would be tortured and murdered in the most horrendous way. So really, I agree with you, but only the three characters we haven't <laughs> spent the whole book with. They're monsters. That Okay, this is hard. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> I just really that. put that on. No, this was hard for me, too, because, yes, if they don't do something, like, their lives are in danger. And I can understand at some point you have to decide how far am I willing to go to save my own life. And I guess for some people, you would be willing to kill anyone. To save your own life. The people that were going to murder you? Yeah. (laughs) The people who are going to murder you who are not responsible for what they're doing and can't control it and might get better. And might be someone else's Johnny that you just blew up. Sure. And and I know we're fuck we're dialing it in. I'm getting mad because you're pinning me into a corner here slowly but surely. (laughs) It's bothering me. With with each of their first two flock kills. Again, you've already said you can't hold it against them because if you if it was if you you if we were in the world of Dawn of the Dead, <laughs> would you let a horde of zombies go peacefully when you could destroy them and save b- a bunch of people? If especially we know in this world, zombie movies exist. Yes. Mm-hmm. So they're operating thinking they're saving future people exactly. from being murdered. But you cannot get away from the unimaginable cruelty of this other being for taking their vengeance on not the people who committed the crime, but on innocent people around them. That makes them even more evil because they are in turn slaughtering a bunch of innocent people to send a message to four. Everybody in this book sucks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. hands down. But, You're correct. <laughs> but we have people who have the the ability to choose and people mm-hmm. who don't. Yes. And I think that's what bothers me the most. That's why it's easier to be mad at our group. Yeah. You can't, okay. you can't blame an ant it's, for something that happens because they're just one of a hive. But I also think that's kind of another, once again, a point of the story is you can't, if you can't blame the phoners for what they, the, the violence they are doing because they have been reduced to animals only whose only interest is survival. They, they don't have full control. They're, they're operating on instinct. The same argument goes for the humans because in this world, humans have been reduced to animals as well. They are only operating on survival instincts. Morality kind of doesn't matter anymore. 
It, okay, th- this is what irritates me. If they had not been okay killing a bunch of people, which I think is a hard decision, even if you think the people, mm. even if you think you're doing a good thing, I just want more gravity on that decision. Mm-hmm. If they hadn't done that, and I'm not saying it's their fault that they retaliated by murdering a bunch of innocent people, that stuff wouldn't happen. They are interfering with a process they don't understand. Again, not their fault either. They don't know they're interfering and they don't know that that's what the consequence is going to be. This is kind of getting away from our plot a little bit, but just I'm I'm now curious because, you know, as we all read, we imagine, you know, you build the your head canon of what these things are. When you thought about phoners, did you imagine them on average, in states of decay like zombies? No. Or did you imagine them as, like, just the three of us sitting around this table looking well, totally fine? Halfway. it's Because they're all, like, beaten up. They're injured. They're not taking care of yeah. themselves because they're, they're not functioning quite like normal humans, but they're alive. So I did not think of them as zombies. I thought of them as something I haven't encountered before, which I would hope would give me enough pause to be like, ooh. And I honestly don't know if it would be easy for me to kill any living thing, no matter sure. what. <laughs> well, that's also fair. Like, okay. Now, now I'm fuck. All right. Cause now, now I'm back in because where I was coming from, from this whole perspective, as I'm imagining it, I kept treating the phoners as they aren't a lot. They're not alive. They're not dead. They're just not dead yet because they continually talk about, you know, they'll see one that like they're, like the dude's arms halfway off and you can see the infection like that. That yeah, dude's that dying die. yeah. because this entity that has taken everything over doesn't have doctors <laughs> like they, they are not interested in healing not yet. Sure. But it leads to the the fact that if were I in this position, I would more or less be treating everything. I don't think I'd be able to escape the idea of zombies because of how many of them I see that are just not dead yet. The only reason they are up and walking is because they have stopped feeling pain. They have stopped being able to control themselves. And I th- so I think that's where that disconnect was coming from. And I would accept all of this mm. if Clay had seen Johnny and put a bullet in his head. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. We need no, to move sure. on yeah, no. with the book. No, I'm, I think I'm just... that's insane. <laughs> no, but you, that's... no, but do you understand the point I'm making? It His actions really just kind of negate a lot that happens in this book because he he took away hundreds and hundreds of people's johnnies yeah he killed Fuck, people's you got me god moms, damn it daughters sons god dads, damn it, sisters brothers friends but it doesn't doesn't everybody deserve that chance not when they're all trying to murder you no no, I and I'm not saying they shouldn't try to defend themselves. I'm just saying they made some decisions that set them on this course. Yeah, no, I completely agree that the things that that there are consequences to their actions, but that doesn't mean their actions are morally wrong or that they I, shouldn't um, have. I, I just I do not believe morality has any place in this world. I know. I'm just against. Murder for any time. It isn't a matter. It is different if all of the phoners were in cages. If they were all locked up and they're like, should we kill all these people for what they did? I'd be like, no, they didn't have a choice. And now we're all safe. <laughs> in this world, they are doing the the humans are doing whatever they can to live, whether that's right or wrong. 
very arguable because the the argument that I keep referring to is after the end of the story, mm-hmm. as our characters are parting, Clay thinks to himself, well, I mean, the phoners, they were just doing what they do. And hell, maybe it would have been better uh, in the long run for the planet because they wouldn't have, you know, polluted like we do. They looked like their violence was would have ended eventually. Who knows? Maybe they could have been better. But what could we have done? Because the only other option was laying down and dying, which is <laughs> whether it's better for the planet or not. We're humans and that's built into our core code. Don't fucking die. <laughs> yeah, but they if they hadn't taken it upon themselves to cleanse the world of this and they just tried to survive. Sure. Oh, all right. But they I'm, didn't. I'm going <laughs> to okay. swing this over to uh, on CM's side a little bit here. And that makes me sad because I started out so against you and now I'm starting to turn. I bet you if a lot of this would be different, if if Cashwack was in these these dead zones, if they were bringing these normies to live in these spaces like the this is the new world order in concentration. You, yes. If you get this space and you get you you get to be safe we'll leave you alone that's that's where peace happens because we're the superior power blah 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 still not great but it can end there i bet you even if that were an option they would get there and clay would still say no and keep fighting solo to find a son which the, he should because you're literally describing colonialism yeah oh i'm aware <laughs> i'm absolutely aware yeah. I, I thought about that several times as they were talking about these dead zones and making like this is where you live now because we are mm-hmm. the superior power yeah interesting thing to oh yeah almost a, play around with yeah in the, okay another interesting thing and then we're going to move on from this what did you guys think of <laughs> dan posits that Oh, this might have been two weirdos in their garage that sent out the polls. <laughs> <laughs> it's I, one of my favorite things about the book is I said it last uh, episode. Like we never find out what the fuck the pulse is. Mm-mm. Is it a weird alien thing or literally it's the two explanations. The two guesses that we get are it were it was terrorists or it was just some fucking tech bros fucking around because hackers <laughs> yeah and with the context we have and with as much difference as it makes both of those are <laughs> perfectly plausible it doesn't matter what caused the pulse mm-hmm. and yeah. that's really interesting <laughs> i do like to think that it was just like two engineers like two dudes in their garage being like we're gonna be the next microsoft (laughs) (laughs) i also really appreciated how king addresses for us the fact that if the phoners can't speak or behave in many typical ways how could they make signs about kashawakamak so he's Mm -hmm. like okay i think the survivors posted the first signs because they were like oh this place doesn't have cell phones so that will probably be a safe place but then he questions the idea of of that and the graffiti and everything, you know, the other signs that they've seen that are spread so far, which I did not see coming at all. Because we talked last episode about how crazy it is that this information travels so quickly, like people can get important information among mm-hmm. themselves, our, our normies. 
So the phoners planted things in the normies' minds mm-hmm. Which is before we brilliant. even were aware of that. God, yeah. that's so good. Which is way scarier than I think mm-hmm. when the Raggedy Man mm-hmm. yeah. even speaks through them. Mm-hmm. Like that. And there's so little attention paid to this conversation and this detail. The King doesn't make it a big deal. It's just mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, this. And I had it was upon re-listening that I was thinking of the implications of that. I was like, holy crap, <laughs> you got me. <laughs> so this, our new group tells Clay, Tom, and Jordan that they want to go west, even though everyone is being given the message to go north. They don't trust that, like you guys are saying. They think they're being led to the slaughter. And Dan is also warning them that he doesn't think the raggedy man is a man, but he is the representation of the flock. And it makes total sense if they have the hive mind. He also says that they are supposed to show our group something. And I love this scene. I think this is so cool. They take them over a hill and they see that Gunner has been stripped and crucified and that his buddy Harold was clearly forced to do the crucifixion and then slit his own throat with a shard of glass. Fucking awesome. Because one of the other things that he says through Alice's through Alice's head is they'll be punished. Not for you but as a symbol to everything else yeah, they will be taken care of not as a favor to you mm-hmm. but as a warning to others yeah. and that line and then what is what is written on the sign with these bodies justice is served like the raggedy man is badass yeah he is not fucking around <laughs> no so this is where clay decides that he's gonna split off from everybody he's just gonna go solo also on his did own. not see that coming no and i was sad you know because we've had Clay and Tom and, and Alice and Jordan, now Alice is gone, and now we're just with Clay. And and that was very effective. And of course, they try to talk him out of it, which I was kind of like, if it was your kid, would it be reasonable to you for someone to be like, nah, forget your kid. He's a lost cause. It's like, come on, you guys, just support him and let him go. <laughs> or buddy up with, like, I would be like, okay, I'll come with you. We're going to do this. No, I definitely would have went west. Like, I would have known that it was not, it was no good. But you got to try. You you know you're being led to your death. Clay, in the meantime, has another dream that explains what's happening in this area. And he sees Johnny in this dream. So would one of you kind of explain what he dreams of and what that tells us about what's what's going on? Sure. He sees tents on the side of the road and massive lines. And the raggedy man is at the head of the line, ushering people left and right, saying you'll get the chance to call a loved one. Uh, If you go in here and say goodbye and people pick up a phone, hit the button and immediately become phoners. Kind of. They go they go slack and brain dead for a minute before they hard reset. Yeah. But uh, as he sees later, they're they're not the same. They're not getting the same um, signal. The first phoners, which Jordan posits it's a it's a worm, which Stephen King does not understand. <laughs> uh, but he basically says there, there's a virus, this this program that is going out over the pulse. It's breaking down. Something is happening that the people that are getting it now, it's it's not doing what it did the first time. He sees uh, two phoners that are actually speaking. Mm-hmm. They're they're arguing over a fire truck. And having the same, like, psychic battle between them. But they're just not the same. As they're speaking, they're not quite forming the words completely. And he hears the fully formed words in his mind. And then he 
here's them trying to form those words. And eventually, like just in the span of watching this exchange, they are talking almost normally, mm-hmm. which is rapid, rapid progress. It's kind of nuts. So before Clay can reach his destination, Josh, you're surprised that they parted ways. Were you surprised that they were back together <laughs> so quickly? I lost my mind. He just <laughs> walks over here and he's like, there's a bus in the middle of the road. And Tom and Jordan, what the fuck? I was confused. How long were they apart? Like three days. Oh, because it's it's literally the span of like four paragraphs. Or <laughs> yeah, something. it happens quick on paper. Yeah, and so much happens. Like when they're he meets them again, and he's like, "What happened?" They're like, "We did this and this and this. We found a school bus. We found a quarry. It was great." And I was like, "How long were they?" gone. I was really confused. They partied like that scene in Hocus Pocus. <laughs> yeah. I thought what? that what happened to them was was pretty kick-ass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They believed they were heading west and the phoners have, the telepathy and the psychic powers have grown so strong that they let them believe they were making their way west. And as they're telling the story, I love that Clay's, they're talking about a hotel and the kitchen, and he's like, that place doesn't have a dining room. And it, <laughs> like, that's not, not how that place works. And it's Jordan who brings up that it felt like a virtual reality. And that's where he started to realize that they were, and they were constantly tired. It's because while they thought they were <laughs> sleeping, they were being piloted back. That is so freaking cool. It's so like- fucking awesome. <laughs> and it, what's scary is it only happens the first time because after that they get it. <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is so dark mm-hmm. because thinking of just like the hopelessness yes yeah oh they're so they're basically making them all go to kashawakmak for their execution i am sorry if that's a real place and i'm butchering it <laughs> <laughs> well it's oh. on the the micmac land so mm. I doubt it's a real place. (laughs) Along the way, Ray takes Clay aside and he's like, oh, man, you live here. What does Poison Ivy look like? (laughs) And it's just a really finally we get we get a light moment in all this bleakness of this book. As Denise is giggling. (laughs) And we get to know what is his name? Hugh? Or what's this guy's name? Ray. Ray. That's right. Uh, Because we've kind of gotten a few conversations with Dan. He's kind of a pessimistic smart ass old man the the woman is pregnant and rough and tumble Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we haven't the only thing is we we've gotten about this guy is he's just kind of like he's here too he's also (laughs) here but now we're like oh he's a fun guy yeah full of laughs full of laughs he calls him over and to implying that he got poison oak or poison ivy on his business while he was using the bathroom uh, and the other party, the rest of the party laughs at him and Clay goes back there and he immediately changes gears and he pulls out, he's like, pulls out a cell phone and a piece of paper that has a number on it and very quickly and very seriously is like, take this. You'll, I just hope you'll know when to call this number, but you have to call it. It's the only way anybody's getting out of here alive. And Seeing the desperation in his eyes, Clay doesn't even give it a second thought. He grabs it, and after he takes it and he's distracted by the phone, Ray quickly reaches for the gun in his waistband, puts it under his chin, and blows his head off. My first time reading it, I'm sure all your first time reading it, 
did you make the immediate conclusion he wired the bus as a bomb? That I, I immediately when oh, he handed because, him a yeah, phone, I was like, it's a, it's a phone bomb. He turned the bus into a bomb. He talked about him being good with explosives. I didn't even remember that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I just I've watched enough of like movies mm-hmm. that the phone is the detonator. <laughs> and it's funny because at the end of the last episode, Ben asked me how this ends. And I was like, I don't know. Explosion. <laughs> <laughs> OK, what if we knew Ray like we knew Alice and then this next scene happened? Because everything picks up very quickly after this. They don't even get to, they try to bury him. They don't get to because the raggedy man is like, okay, get over here. And they're like, hold on. And he's like, no, 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 you cannot. And Tom basically has to like kick this dude's body into Mm -hmm. the hole. They, and and just walk away. That's a good point that if this would have been, it's still a pretty effective scene. Yeah. But if it would have been a character we actually cared about. If it was Tom. uh, Yeah. That would have fucked me up. Yeah, because it, as it is, it's this Ray guy is pretty much a nobody that we've just been introduced to. He's had the least characterization of the three. Then he goes and does the most heroic thing in the book, or the most sacrificial mm-hmm. thing, at least. Like this guy that we don't know at all gives his life to save the day. Gives his life to maybe save the day. Because he can't even tell him the plan. Yeah. Gives his life to save the bad guys. (laughs) I I know. I'm just. (laughs) We're going to move. It moves pretty quick. So they are made to get on the bus and drive to Kashwakmak. And they get to the fairgrounds full of phoners. Like this must be a pretty big fairgrounds. Ours, you know, I don't even know what the capacity is, but I assume a couple thousand people in this area. And they are locked in a casino hall together. And Clay sees Sharon and she is a phoner and she's obviously, you know, like messed up. Part of her ear is gone. Some, you know, she died or not died. She became a phoner mm-hmm. roughly, I guess. And he has absolutely no care or sympathy for her uh, except she, to notice that she's she wearing. She does have rockin' tits. Yeah. <laughs> the white shirt that he prefers to grab her nipples yeah, in. Sure, sure. This. <laughs> That did suck. I wish I was exaggerating that no, part. No, it is so jarring that literally the only thought he has when seeing his wife who, who is he wanted to reconcile man, with. Yes, and he just sees her and is like, "Man, she was fucking hot in that shirt." Ooh, yeah, and then like shoves shoves her and yes. says, "Get out of my way, bitch!" It's like, what the hell? I get. I think this is why I'm so against our group. These little moments with Clay got me. It's so bad. I agree that Clay isn't the best dude. He's a weird guy. He has a lot of moments that are just like, there's something off with him. But I think everything that happens is it makes sense under the circumstances. I think he's just crazy. Yeah, I think think he's lost. I think all of our characters have pretty much lost their minds at this point. Yeah, I think if he did not if he did not become crazy after the incident with the head, he definitely is a Mm -hmm. is crazy when Alice dies. Yes. So our group is locked in this place together and they're trying to figure out what to do. He doesn't know the purpose of the phone and the slip of paper yet. And he decides he's going to his version of meditating, which is drawing in his mind because he doesn't have anything to draw with. And that's when he starts, you know, when he has a moment to sit and think and just focus on something, his brain's kind of opening up and he's realizing what Ray intended. The setup for this was cool, too, because he's like, 
concerned that the raggedy man is going to know he has a cell phone. Then he's, you know, Ray had made the point even to mm. him. Cell phones are on everybody's minds. It doesn't matter. If, he'll just be like, okay, whatever. And he is. He's a little perplexed as to why he has it, but he doesn't care. He doesn't know it's a tool. Or he even a makes the bad mime gesture for a phone and like yeah. laughs. Like, like this guy's real stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's talk about the plan that they put into action, including throwing a kid out of a window. <laughs> That's step one in most of my plans. <laughs> if there's a child around, and and why the this area is meaningful in a way that the phoners and Raggedy Man. Did not realize. Yeah, so they were all the pulse happened while uh, carnies were setting up for this big expo. And at the top of this tower, there's this flashing beacon, which turns out that it was a, an illegal signal booster because they want to draw customers in. The customers aren't going to want to come to a place where they can't use their phone mm-hmm. the entire time. But nobody whose mind they read would know that except for the carnies. He pieces together that they there's a bomb in the bus and the phone will be the detonator. And the only person who could fit out the window is Jordan and asks him if he knows how to drive. He it, it doesn't go through them doing the plan, <laughs> but I like that it comes. He makes Jordan repeat the plan step by step and corrects him mm-hmm. like they've drilled it because that they've only got the one shot at this. They break the window, send Jordan out. And this is my favorite part of the ending. Yeah. Because we don't follow Jordan. <laughs> no. And it leads to so much tension. In in any normal book, we would now follow Jordan right. and his heroic journey to the bus and all this. But knowing, having all of them together, looking, waiting, listening, added so much tension. And I thought it was such a brilliant choice. I thought you meant... Your favorite part was when Jordan comes back and just runs over a bunch of people. Also cool. Good job, Jordan. Okay. I thought I did. I did think it was pretty great. I like with everything Jordan's been through. He's a, 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 he deserves to blow off some steam. <laughs> well, it, it, seeing well, and when he when you find out his rationale is the losing the head fucked him up, mm-hmm. and this knowing that in his head and his heart. He really feels if he could get this bus just further over here, he can end this and get revenge. And if you gave a 13 year old kid the chance to save the world and uh, avenge the person who meant the most to him at the time he needed the most, he's taken it. It only sucks because he notices that they're improving even then because they're and he, he refers it back to the worm in the system, they are walking around at night now. So some of the more recent phoners don't shut down mm-hmm. at night. And they, they seem to be more like classic zombies in that they'll, like, reach out and grab at him, but he's, like, beats beats them off. Uh, <laughs> he, he, you know, fights them off. They're not as, as aggressive mm-hmm. uh, uh as they used to they're be. not crazed yeah I'll, I'll kind of take this the way I, I took the first explosion they blow stuff up and it's pretty cool <laughs> it's fucking <laughs> rad as hell <laughs> I, the when the bus explodes it, and it's as cool as the first explosion with the rain of gore which i thought was just very cool to read about 
And the the moment that I would like to point out is that it tears off a whole wall of this place so they're able to get out. And as they're describing all of the body parts and stuff that they see dropping around, the one that stuck out to me was describing one of them as a flesh canoe filled with blood. I was just about to say, (laughs) personally, this part bothered me. Because of the phrase flesh canoe. <laughs> I was like, that's metal as fuck. It is extremely metal. I gotta get that. Right in front of Charlie the Choo Choo, if you can believe it. Oh. Flesh canoe's a metal lock, or a death clock song. <laughs> yeah, the Charlie reference was cool. And they got the Raggedy Man. Yeah. The, the, a piece and of shrapnel like tore through his chest. More importantly, that bitch Sharon, Clay got his divorce. <laughs> <laughs> All right, they decide, our survivors decide to head north because there's more spots without cell service, so possibly less phoners, and they think that the winter is going to wipe them out. Although I disagree with that because I think they're they're kind of evolving, and I think they're going to have that sense of self-preservation mm. kick in at some point. <laughs> this, is also, this is also based on Clay's completely irrational theory that they must be 70% dead, which is completely based <laughs> off of nothing. nothing. It's based off his need to justify how many people he's murdered. Which, but I will say that I understand that 70% based on how I said earlier, I was envisioning them Mm -hmm. as, you know, unable Mm -hmm. to be healed by the damage they've sustained. It's just hard for me to look at people who don't function quote unquote normal, like everyone else and see them as anything other than people. I don't quite understand. Okay. I, I thought that might be why this was upsetting you so much because because of my day job. Final, yeah, <laughs> I'm well, sorry. Same, same. Yeah, because I had a problem with the very end for that reason. Let's just move on because, like, yeah, this this is at they, the end. They part ways, but Clay's like, I gotta find Johnny. Yeah, and he goes to look for Johnny, and cutting through. Well, I do want to mention that. In this section, as he's walking back south, mirroring our journey Mm -hmm. from the beginning of the book, one of the first things he finds when traveling on his own is two phoners arguing and fighting on a bridge. And they fight each other and they float up in the air and then they bite (laughs) each other on the nose and they fall out of the air. But then they get up and just kind of like look at him and part ways. It's the scene with the guys fighting over yeah. the keg from the beginning of the book. Everybody's it's, the same. Yes, yeah. it is such a cool Which way is to why show murdering each other isn't that, justified. That the the phoners and the humans they've all went crazy because of this horrible mm-hmm. tragedy. You don't have to have the pulse to have gone crazy. Yes, but he he finds Johnny. What was the point I was trying to make? I don't know, but I I do like his journey. It's just the way it's written mm-hmm. is very cool. He's alone, and you feel that loneliness and he's trying to send messages like trying to put a picture of johnny in the phoner's mind to communicate with them yeah he also finds a phone because jordan's like hey if you hit him with another signal again based on nothing it might reboot his brain well he's a computer genius it might reboot his brain based on it makes as much sense as any of the theories yeah i remember what i was going to say so what the thing that bothers you is equating the the phoners and a different way of thinking with people in real life who have a different way of thinking mm-hmm. and that are still should be treated as people. I got that from the ending because he finds Johnny and Johnny is different. Mm-hmm. He is feral kind of. <laughs> well, 
That's how he's described. That's what we're supposed to take away. Yeah. But I agree with what, I understand what upset you because the way he's described is he was just described as a neuroatypical person. He's basically described as like an autistic, like he can't talk. And I agreed. Well, and I didn't say that that way because I didn't want to color your guys's opinion because that's my personal take from what i do for a living no i absolutely and i absolutely well, you, got yeah. that uh that same thought and when he was thinking he's like do i really want to do i want to take test this dangerous thing of trying to give him the pulse again or do i want do, is it really even worth living with him like this that bothered me that i did not like because i was like yeah of course it is play sucks he's just a person but I think there's a difference between that and Johnny is not a phoner. He's between. He's he has this this issue, but he can work past it. The other phoners that they blew up, not the same. They were something else. That's what I have a I think that line is very blurred and probably intentionally from King. Sure. It's it's hard to discern what they would be, what they're capable of. Because even the the initial phoners who were very crazy at the at the first start of the pulse were changing within mm-hmm. by the next morning, and it, it's just a very but dark. If, you, if it, you're in a life or death situation, you can't say that's like there, there's a pride of man eating lions outside the village. We can hunt them down, or we can wait and hope they. Okay, Learn I don't use tools. Yeah, I know how to explain society. this to you guys, you so you'll understand exactly where I'm coming from. Gotcha. If for some reason I am ever brutally murdered by a bear, don't kill the bear. It's not the fucking bear's fault. No, I'm but, probably an idiot for messing with the bear when I should have known uh, better. There we go. Well, sure. we will bury you in the <laughs> what pet if cemetery. The bear is threatening the existence of society. I don't know that the bear is. What if it's a team of bears? <laughs> Okay, so he, I I thought this ending was cool because he decides to do it, and the phone rings and it's like ring ring, it's for you, Johnny. Oh, you should have done it in the creep. Oh well, <laughs> and we don't know if it works because the book ends there. What did you guys think of this book? I thought the the pace was great. I thought the fun misdirect of feeling kind of comedy at first, and then going as dark as it did, got me. The fact that Anytime a book can make me feel so strongly in any moment, I'm on board with. I'm going to go ahead and give Cell four out of five blue chambray shirts. Uh, I got some real complicated feelings about this book because it definitely has a lot of problems. A lot of very confusing tonal shifts. It's just a very strange book. That said, it is kind of a fun read. It's fast. It's got set pieces that are really nuts. The characters are really well developed and interesting, whether you like them or not. My only problem is the ending chickens out. I think, I think the ending could be more bleak. Yeah. I think it's too, it's too close to a happy ending when the second half of the book swerves so hard into being so dark. All that said, it's fine. Three out of five blue chambray shirts. CM? I know I seemed angry this whole episode, <laughs> and I was. I, I did turn around on our main characters. I think everybody in this book sucks. 
I mean, there there are some things about them. They're fun. like Tom is so great. I just think they made really bad decisions, and I'm not sure that I agree with what they were willing to do and sacrifice and risk. And of course, it's easy for me to say that not having you know not being in that position myself. So I realize I'm kind of a hypocrite and biased, <laughs> but that's how I feel. It's interesting because I I think it's a perfectly fine book, and I enjoyed it. I don't want to spend more time in this universe the way it feels to me when I said earlier it feels more like a Bachman book it's not a place I want to stay and hang out and none of the characters are people I want to continue to get to know and and I don't want to know their journeys they they didn't quite touch me or intrigue me in that way that being said that's just my feeling about it and it didn't take away from how how good it was and all the points you guys made about the pace and everything and the character development. And I, I liked the tonal shifts. I thought that was just, I love a book that's one thing. And then it's like, what am, what happened? <laughs> so I enjoyed all of those aspects of it. So I'm going to give it five out of five blue shirts. <laughs> what? <laughs> you, this always happens. <laughs> it's so great. Just we, we argue the whole episode. <laughs> Oh, you're so upset about the book. And then I give it three and you give it five. It's so fucking good. That's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us for our next episode where we will be watching the film Cell. For Benjamin Graham and C.M. Alexander, I'm Joshua Khan reminding you. Yes, they had been born in violence and in horror. But birth is usually difficult, often violent, and sometimes horrible. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to Cell Part 1. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Dairy Public Radio and Twitter at Dairy Public and send us an email at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. Thank you again to Phil Thiessen for selecting Cell as part of our Patreon selection series. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye. <laughs>